Hey girl, hey. If you're new, we're so pumped you found us. And if you're back and a real OG, we're so glad you're here. Now you're listening to Girl Talk. We're your host, Courtney Olson, MF CEO of Girl Clothing and the woman with the world's deadliest thighs in Tauver Lee. Tav, let them know what's up. I'm Tauver Lee. I'm a social impact entrepreneur and the founder of Tauver Lee's Tribe. Unplanned and authentic. Together, we're serving you delicious dishes of mind, body, and soul nuggets to help you feel empowered and unstoppable. And we're not experts in any field, but we are two women over 35 who've got some dope-ass tools, stories, and entertainment value to add to your life. Know your worth and charge tax, bitch. Now let's make some magic. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Girl Talk. And today is going to be a super important conversation that we're having because we are living in times that are necessary and change is amongst us. And I'm, as always, so happy to be on the show with Courtney Olson. So thank you, Courtney, for being here. I mean, it's your show. I just thank you for being here on your show. (laughs) (laughs) It's our show. Okay. Hour. I know it's our show, but it's just so funny. I you can tell that I'm a podcaster because I like go into this like monologue. Um, but I'm I'm glad, Courtney, that we've been able to put this together. And I think it's important for us to tell our listeners that we are preempting some of the content that we have recorded to create something, a message, a talk, a discussion, an opportunity to open a discussion like worldwide about topics that are important right now. So I, I, I'm grateful that you and I have been able to flow through that process easily. Absolutely. We gotta, we gotta be ahead of the game. I know we've gone from the self-love success Academy, you know, uh, from last week to now this week, completely (laughs) switching gears, uh, because this is way more important yeah, absolutely. Yes, it is. And we also have a super amazing additional guest with us today, and her name is Gretchen. And Gretchen is a transpersonal psychology coach, and she works with empowerment, and she does it in a holistic practice way, which I'm super excited to hear more about. And she also self-identifies as biracial. And so, Gretchen, thank you for being willing to come on the show and have a good conversation with Courtney Well, thank and I. you for having me. And, and we I should would... also mention that she is a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> a graduate of Yale, a badass woman that you do not want to cross. And I'm we are so grateful that you're here and taking the time because I'm I'm certain it gets old and you we're you know, you're like, are we still really having this discussion how many decades later? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, like, it's one of those it's... things where, you know, um, as a as a black woman, as any person of color, frankly, um, in a lot of these situations um, when they occur, because it's all based on skin tone. A lot of times, it's not even based necessarily on um, your country of origin or anything. It's just based on the fact that you right. have darker skin than the people um, who are afraid of you, and it creates it. It just when we start to kind of can pack it up and put it to the side and move on with life. It happens in such a horrific way again. And we have to remind ourselves, we have to literally feel the apprehension and the anxiety and the fear all over again, all the time. Like it's, it's literally PTSD. Um, and you're born and, but we're born into it. You know, there's no like one traumatic incident 
that sets it off. I mean, every black person in America has experienced some incident involving um, racism in some regard. And anytime it happens, sometimes it may be surprising, but it's never shocking. (laughs) You know, you may be surprised that this happened with this person or in this place, but you're not shocked that it happened at all. And it's the, it's the reminder and having it put in your face constantly that creates that living in fear and anxiety and anger that, you know, we really have no place to put it the way that our society is set up. We don't get to experience automatic justice as other groups of people in America do. You know, there's nine times out of 10, we are not going to have justice. So we have to find a way to reconcile and live with it and deal with it and move on and still try to remain positive and hopeful about life. And it's hard, you know, and you marry that with everybody being quarantined and having to not, you know, not being allowed to commune and come together as, Mm. you know, it's very, it's a huge part of the black community to come together and to fellowship and to not even be able to physically do that right now is also very traumatizing. I just... Gretchen, I have a question, a quick mm-hmm. question for you. Um, and it was it one thing I wanted to touch on that you just talked about a second ago was um, what you carry with you. And is there I mean, how how much how much of this is in the DNA of our society that has come forward and, and never actually been dealt with that's still sitting there? Well, I think there's two aspects to this. Number one, there is not one black American experience Um, because we all grew up in different communities, have different lifestyles, have different skin tones. I mean, if anybody looks at me, I am extremely fair skinned. I am often mistaken for just being white. Um, And then there are those of us who are extremely dark skinned where there's absolutely no question (laughs) that they are of African descent. And Therefore, based on how we look, where we live, what our economic standing is, we have a different experience, a different black experience. So I'm always very careful and mindful to um, clarify that there isn't just one you know, way that black people live in America. Because um, what happens is, is when people believe that, then, then that leads to like, oh, well, my black friend Joe over here has never had any issues and he, you know, he doesn't seem upset at all. So I don't know why the rest of them are. <laughs> you know, well, your black friend Joe may be a multimillionaire and he doesn't have to, you know, deal with these issues. He may have a security force. He never has to face the police. You can't base the black experience on the one or two black people you know. That's so, so accurate, Gretchen. When I, I just, I, I don't know, we are brawling three different, well, two different countries and different states, and we're not looking at each other. So having mm-hmm. these conversations remotely can be difficult because, you know, I'm like, jump in, and then someone else is still talking. So <laughs> we'll just get that out of the way real quick. But I, when I, and I don't want to be like I, because it's not about me, but as a white person, and then starting to unpack this stuff a couple of years ago, and um, subsequently then putting it down because life got busy, which is absolute garbage. But I would go to events, and I I would come across a black woman, and it was at the early times, and I would start to tear up and be like, I, I you know, and I'm all I can say is I'm sorry. And some women instantly, without even saying anything, would look at me and be like. I got you. 
thank you means a lot. And some women be like, what's, what, what's wrong? Did you stub your toe on the way to give me a hug or, you know, or yesterday, uh, I had a, a, a black, a, she would prefer to be, uh, identified as a person of color. Whereas another black woman said, you know, don't erase us. That's for, mm-hmm. you know, the media will say people of color in conservative space because mm-hmm. it's easier to, you know, mm-hmm. and again, you're so this is amazing. All of this is, is stuff that I'm like, I like a pen and paper and it's not your job, you know, <laughs> but I'm like, <laughs> I feel like my whole body's about to light, like light up and just, you know, it's well, just so much, you know, to be yeah. honest, it's my, because I'm biracial, I definitely have been in more situations where white people will come up and ask me questions and, and, you know, feel more comfortable asking me questions because there's two reasons. One, I look like them. So I'm less mm-hmm. threatening to ask the question. Of. And two, right. they feel because I'm biracial, you know, I, I may be nicer or, I may, you know, be able to, uh, um, give a bit more, you know, um, understanding or tolerance to if the question, you know, is a little bit ignorant, you know, which sometimes they are. And even as biracial, as a biracial person, you know, I get tired of having to explain, but on the other hand, I feel almost like I would rather take on the role and feel like it's more my job because I really feel bad for, my friends in the black community who are darker skinned, who constantly have to explain and justify themselves. So if I can answer some questions that they don't have to, <laughs> so, you know, so that they feel right. a little less of the pressure, then, you know, I'll take that on. I feel like I enjoy a certain privilege in America by not having as dark a skin tone. And if this is my right. way to, you know, quote unquote compensate for that privilege, then that's what I'm going to do. And that's, I, you know, when, when we started talking about this, I who knows how long ago, but, you know, in, in us meeting and, um, you know, in the backstory of girl and, you know, when we started this thing, I was blindsided by the fact that, you know, we didn't have color diversity you know, I was so mm-hmm. solely focused because of my white experience and it was all about the size of my legs and, you know, eating disorders and body dysmorphia and growing up in an area without having exposure to the black community. I it didn't, it didn't even cross my mind. Mm-hmm. And so to have that little small awakening and be like, oh, wow. Yeah. We got to have all colors of the rainbow. And then of course mm-hmm. that turned into abilities and so forth, but that process and that taking several years to start then unpacking these things and thinking how, how could I, as a a person who considered herself to be somewhat enlightened, have done, you know, a decade of self interpersonal work through the 12 steps and, you know, uh, feel like an old soul, if you will, uh, uh, to be in a position where I would say things like, Oh, I don't see color. And why can't we all just be one race of women and, you know, all lives matter and literally having to feel, what do you mean white privilege? I don't have privilege. You don't know about my life, blah, 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 blah. And, and what I'm seeing now, and when I bring this stuff up and I see, you know, white men 
reply to that. And I'm like, hold on, I don't know you, but I'm going to DM you and let's have a chat because this isn't for anybody else to have to answer. But to think like, okay, where well, I was is, I four mean, years ago. Yeah, I'm sorry, Courtney. I'm, I'm a, I have a tendency no. to interrupt and talk over. So I apologize in advance to both of you it's good. Uh, for that. <laughs> but I have a tendency to do that. But I wanted to stop for a second and, and spend a moment talking about privilege. And what that yes. is, because that is, I mean, trust me, I am faced with that all the time when I say that I'm privileged and, you know, I'm privileged amongst the black community. I am privileged in that community when I say that white people have right. privilege and I get that response all the time. You don't know me. I grew up poor and my family was on welfare and, you know, and I think right. it's extremely important to explain. Great place when, to in- yeah. interject that 100. <laughs> yeah. It's like when we are referring to privilege, you know, in the racial context, we are talking about the fact that you as a person who is white or appears white, like I do, do not have to immediately be faced with certain discrimination. Um, Systemic racism isn't necessarily a factor for you. Or certainly isn't for me as much as it is a person who has darker or browner skin. Uh, privilege means that you have the ability to spend your day thinking about only the things that matter to you. That's a privilege. And white people don't understand when I say, you know what, <laughs> you're privileged that you don't have to spend more than two seconds worrying about what's happening in Minnesota. You don't have to spend more than two seconds, you know, worrying about what happens if your child walks down the street at night in a predominantly white neighborhood. That's a privilege. That is a level of calm and peace that you have that other people in this country don't have. And the only reason why you have it is because you have white skin. Right. And that's you not to think a about financial your privilege. Yeah. It is solely about that you mm-hmm. have a level of peace in your life and you have the ability to choose what topics matter to you. Whereas other it's people so in America don't. Well, when I get pulled over, I, I can think... flirt my way out of a ticket. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have to be concerned that I'm going to have to take my keys, put them on the dashboard, put both of my hands on the wheel because that's what my parents taught me because that's what has been happening since forever. You know, I I don't have to even think twice about that. And it's never even come into my sphere. I'll break it down to one simple thing. You have a privilege as a white American that if anything bad happens, you can call 911 and feel like somebody's going to come save you. Yep. I don't have that. Simple, right? Like, how, how do we not get past that, right? 911 you know I mean? like, is how, a free how... service, right, that exists to protect me in case something bad is happening. I call 911, and I have to worry that whoever busts through my door is going to see my child or my partner and shoot them on sight, thinking that they're the problem because they have darker skin. Yep. Yep. That's a privilege. It's the most... <laughs> That's a privilege. Yep. 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 Absolutely. So, yeah, like I just, if, if, if a white person can understand that simple concept, really, like if they can just nail that down and not take offense to it when people say, 
Well, you know, that's your privilege. You know, when they make a statement that 100% (laughs) exemplifies their privilege and the response to that is, well, you're lucky, you know, you're privileged. They should just accept that and understand that that is a privilege. They have a level of peace in in their life that other people don't and leave the conversation there. And that in and on its own is like enough work to get you started for, for us to start on for a couple of years. You know, yeah. and I guess that's exactly where you're at and you're right. Cause that's where it all kind of started to, to happen there. My, my friend was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't hang up the color of my skin before I walk out my door. Yeah. And then it was like, it was a sense of embarrassment, you know, cause white people were like, Oh, you know, this work is hard. And I feel like you're, you know, um, belittling me or, uh, I, uh, whatever the sense that makes you feel like you have to defend yourself, you know, but it's like, it's, <laughs> it's 1% of the work and not even 1% of the work in compare. I mean, you really can't even compare it, you know, of what uh, people of color and black people have to experience well, living if people in the United just States. Stop getting and, defensive about that work. If they stop taking immediate mm-hmm. offense to being called privileged, they could actually have open ears for the rest of the conversation. But yeah. as soon as that yeah. is said, it's almost as if you called them racist. <laughs> it's like nobody called you a racist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the two yeah. things do not equate at all in any conversation. And yeah. no black person is equating them in any conversation. But because you took offense right. to somebody pointing out your privilege, you've now missed the teachable moment that was coming right <laughs> that was coming in that moment. Right. You know, like you know you and you, you also <laughs> said you <laughs> bye. <hungry. laughs> and you were like, every people can't congregate and, and fellowship right now. And you'd mentioned that earlier. And mm-hmm. you know, that also on the flip side, everybody's home lacking purpose, a heightened yeah. sense of, fear and panic and you know we've gone from a a pandemic which we're still in and like 5g conspiracies in this polarized political climate and now here we are and everybody's at home like you said and at uh the the computer at their fingertips and just oh man like (laughs) the biggest upset the biggest upset for people of color i believe right now with what's going on in Minnesota is, is the fact that this situation has become about everything, but but injustice. Yep. Yep. It has yep. become politicized, you know, about conservative Republicans and liberal Democrats. It has been, you know, taken up to, you know, talk about looting and rioting. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. Yeah. It's like the issue here is a police officer felt that he was the law, Judge Dredd style, and executed someone without due process of law. Period. And in any other situation, that person would have been immediately arrested, charged as fuck. And the fact yeah. that it took yeah. so much time for that to happen is what people were upset about. It's like you have shown once again, that's what they say. That's what they mean when they say black lives don't matter. Because yeah. if that was a white person arrested, charges filed, let's get going. 
a black person. I mean, really, if it was well, anybody but uh, a black person. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, well, yeah. well, did, what did they do? <laughs> Who cares what they did? Yeah. He could have ran out of that store with 20 VCRs and he could have had, he could have been waving, you know, hundred dollar right. bills <laughs> that he stole off of five people in the store. Unless he had a gun yeah. and was shooting in the air, he did not deserve to die. Period. Yep. So that's the the issue. And everything else is noise. And that's what upsets the black community right now is everybody else just wants to feel relevant. Like you said, they're at home. They have nothing else going on. They want to, they want to say something. They want to get involved in rather than take the time to really understand the issue and speak on the issue. They want to make it about something they understand that they can speak on, you know, that they get. And it's turned into everything but what it's about. Or like all cops, all cops aren't bad. I'm like, yeah, my brother is one. And I have another brother that's sitting in federal prison for weed charges. Like we all, yeah, we, we all know somebody who's in a, like, a, a, he's a, he's my brother. Yes. His life matters. However, that's not what this is about. But you know, I'm going to say up, something in reverse. White people. But I'm going to say something in reverse. Yeah. You know what? If not all cops are bad, well, you know what? Not all black people are bad either. So why do we get killed? Boom. Exactly. God. <sighs> you know what I mean? Like, <sighs> if you want to make it about I, you, great. I, I'm going to turn around and make it about me too. Mm. <laughs> and you're going to realize yep. how yes. idiot, you know, just the idiocy behind those statements. Yep. There's only That's a couple it. bad like cops, just and there's a whole bunch that are great. I'm sure there are, but you know what? They all wear the same uniform. So unless you've got the secret decoder yeah. ring that tells me which one's a good one and which one's a racist, i got to look at them all like they could kill me. Yep. And as a white person, we don't, you know, uh, you the don't comprehension that of that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like I said, as so a white person, work. you have 911 as your number one speed dial. I don't. Yep. 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 <laughs> I mean, wow. that's, that's yeah. like you could break it down to that. You know what I mean? You call the police for anything. I don't. Yeah. That's actually the last thing I would I like. do, being brutally honest. That's the last thing I would do. Because yep. I can't control what they're going to do. And I'm not going to, con- I can't control how they feel. I would much rather you know, have my own, I'm being, you know, this is taking it a little different direction, but this is how a lot of black people are feeling. We would much rather just have our own, you know, forms of protection in our own house and, you Mm -hmm. know, hope and pray that we have good lawyers, you know, who understand the law and and can get us off when we're going to get arrested and charged anyway, even for doing something completely lawful. Yeah, but at least we got a shot. At least we don't have police, you know, barging into the wrong house, shooting us in our beds. Yeah. So, well, speaking of that, Gretchen, do you think that, like, do you think that part of what we're feeling now too isn't just the fact that it took so long for the officer to be arrested, but also the fact that it's what they're charging him with is not first degree murder. And I, I don't understand why that is well, the case. Okay. Uh, I've, yeah, there's I've a, read... again, two sides to that. Um, legally. And as an attorney, I can understand why the district attorney is charging him with third degree murder, because it's frankly, the definition of third degree murder by itself 
fits the situation the best. Every state has their own definition of murder and the different degrees. So it isn't like it's all the same. In some states, it's harsher. In some states, they, you know, more things would fall under first degree than others. In Minnesota, based on the definitions of first, second, and third, third is really the one that allows, you know, the greater chance of a conviction. Now, as a mm. citizen, as a human being, I think it's crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I think right. once again, it's, you know, a way to kind of get around true justice. But. Yeah, it feels like skirting. It feels like there's a skirt well, there. I mean, I, I felt that way, too. I was like, I, I, I guess because I didn't understand why that would be the case, especially because we've seen what mm-hmm. happened. Like, it's it's not as if there's not, res, you know, readily available, um, you know, evidence. And so for those people that aren't in the legal field, it's really difficult to understand Absolutely. why that's happening the way that it is. Absolutely. And why haven't the other officers that were there been charged? Like, yeah. Why? <laughs> I mean, we know the yeah. real answer why, but yeah, why? Yeah. I know, I know. But, what? but at the yeah. same time, you have to understand, just because they got charged, so what? You know what I mean? The officer right, that yeah. shot Philanica Steele got charged. He went to court and got acquitted. So, so what? Yeah. You know, like it doesn't necessarily mean that anything is going to come from it. Like until there is absolutely some kind of federal oversight or a, a wide-sweeping, pervasive rule of law, which again, I think can only happen at the federal level. That says any officer involved shooting where the other party is unarmed and the officer was not under immediate physical danger for his life is automatically, you know, investigated and that officer is immediately arrested and charged. Like that's the only way. Yeah, we need systemic changes. Because if you go back in history, (laughs) you know, police officers were the ones who were used, police officers back then, posses, you know, sheriffs, um, were the ones who were there to round up the runaway slaves and to round up, you know, black free people of color and would judge them in the street. In a courtroom. 13th they Amendment right was there. amazing. Hmm? By the way, I said the 13th. Yeah. I said the 13th Amendment, but I meant the 13th on Netflix was mm-hmm. was a, a brilliant uh, documentary to watch on that. And yeah, when you say systemic change, Prince has been singing about the police in Minneapolis for decades. And here we are. You know, and I I think the important thing in this conversation, all of it is incredibly important, but how as women, we can start to look at, you know, the steps to how do we think about breaking that down? Even if if we looked at it long-term versus now and what's coming up at the next election, you know, what's in our control and, and what are we able to do? And that's, you know, I, I recognizing first and foremost that why do we even need a list of resources as white women? You know, first of all, like, why, why is it that, you know, we have to even ask? Like you said, it, 20 years ago, you need to go into a library and pull out uh, a card catalog. I vaguely remember that. 
That was my and, life. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to explain well, that. You know, I was trying to Yale. explain that. Yeah. Well, I was trying to explain that to you. Uh, go to my Yale. daughter. You my daughter. Exactly. My daughter's a weightlifting coach. She was 19. And I was trying to explain to him that back when I was in college, <laughs> law school, like I had to go to the library and I had to flip through catalogs <laughs> to find the book in the newspapers that pertain to my topic and I had to go up in stacks and go find them you know? <laughs> and then you Climb couldn't Xerox the everything like it uh-huh. cost money to Xerox so you have to then write notes <laughs> there were no camera phones you couldn't just click a picture <laughs> so you had to do Hexic. the work you had to, if you wanted to know something you had to do the work to find it like there was action had intention behind it do you know what I mean like yeah. it, it, it was it was beyond curiosity, you know, like if you wanted to know the <sighs> truth, you had to go find it. And, and not do the works like get on Google and get the cliff notes off something. And we're still, ha- we're still calling that work. And it's like, it must or you be look at one worse source. now. Or you look at one source and <laughs> say, that's the answer. And you're not even paying attention to what that right. source is, you know? And then you right, walk around right, saying, right, I know right. the truth. And it's like, Free, you know nothing. You know, well, let's... <laughs> freeinformation.net or yeah. you know what I mean? Like I just see stuff like, Oh, or you wow. find, you know, you realize you that know? you're on some 14 year olds webpage, you know, who wrote, <laughs> who wrote <a laughs> paper about it and you're citing oh, it as, I mean, as gospel, you know? Like, uh, yeah, not to count for our, our school systems who <laughs> have not also, you know, provided information in accurate ways or have hand selected our education uh, for a long time. And it's, it's something that I'm consciously aware of that I was not provided, you know, being Our entire a white American person being raised in the United yeah, States. has been whitewashed right. in, the, in the public book. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, it has. And I, I think, you know, we, we talked about this briefly earlier is that it, and it's, it's our jobs to go find that truth. It's not, it's not your job to teach me. It's not your job to teach anybody. It's my job to, to figure that out. And I think that that's the first point to, to change is for those of us that don't know and are willing to say, we don't know what we don't know what we don't know. And it's our jobs to figure it out. Not somebody else's job to teach us. And we will respect you more. Like, I think, I think that there's this, this, um, unspoken, you know, truth in a lot of these conversations where, white people who want to ask the questions and earnestly and honestly, you know, with all good intentions and love in their heart, ask a question and they're met with either the answer, a half answer or whatever from the black person they're asking. And they, they feel this tension and they don't know what it is. A lot of times it's frankly disrespect. The black person is feeling Mm -hmm. disrespected and has lost respect for you. And it's because you're just giving words. I want to know. I want to learn. That's great. But if you really wanted to know and wanted to learn, you'd have already done the homework and you'd have been coming to me and saying, hey, I read X, Y, Z, or hey, I you know, was looking through some stuff and I found this. Is this accurate? Like you would be coming to me for confirmation. You wouldn't be coming to me for the beginnings of your education. Right. right. So like if you me want asking, me to respect, there's a book. Yeah, if you want me to respect that you really do care about these things, and you want me to respect you and look at you as somebody who is an ally or somebody who's trying to understand, show me. Like, show me yeah. through your actions that that's the case. And it's not just, oh, you're feeling bad in the moment because you saw something on Facebook. 
Yeah. Like here's an example, right? If I came to you and, and I said, I'm, you know, looking at different resources and I saw a black activist on Twitter bagging out white fragility and saying, you know, here's another white person profiting off of the experience of, of black people. But then I see somebody else, uh, another young black author who's posted something reposted from one of mm-hmm. his white friends who is encouraging his, you know, white uh, community. He's like, Hey, I'm doing work. This is what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, that's great. You know, go out and do this. And then we're like, Oh, so what's the right path to go down? It's like, I'm, I'm in the midst of it. I'm doing it. And also at the same time, you know, we, we, we want to do the right thing. And then, you know, I'm questioning like, well, do some white people need to unpack it by hearing other white people, but then white people, cause I've done it several times where I put my lens on it and I make it about me. I've done it publicly and I look back in retrospect and I'm like, oh my goddess, how embarrassing. Did I really try and put my uh, experience living in Asia and being treated like a second class citizen to a black person in America? I, like I want to never be seen again, you know, and have to move. Well, you know what? Not yeah, let me, to, let, me, let, me give you, let me give you an analogy that I think, and I'm just Ooh, kind of making this up I on love the analogies. Fly. But I think this might, you know, kind of put it together. If Gordon Ramsay, mm. you know, famous chef Gordon Ramsay, was mm. at, a, at a, you know, a party that you were at, and, you know, you're like, oh, I want to ask Gordon Ramsay something, would you go to him <laughs> and say, hey, you know, I've, I actually make, you know, a great, you know, um, beef wellington and you know i happen to do it and i put this inside and i cook mine at you know 420 minutes and, but i noticed at your restaurant it tastes a little like this you know is there a reason for the difference if you ask that question of gordon ramsay you would expect that he would answer right mm-hmm. you would expect that that wouldn't be necessarily a bad question to ask someone of his skill level and experience you know, and you're asking for confirmation of points. You're asking for clarification of why, as a master chef, he does it this way versus, you know, the way you do it. Okay. So that interaction would seem fine and normal. And at the same party, you go up to Gordon Ramsay. You say, oh, wow, it's awesome to meet you. Uh, I've always wanted to know how to make beef wellington. Can you tell me how to do it? You know, I've got about 15 minutes right here. Can, like, where do you start? How do you put it together? Do you feel like that's an appropriate question to ask Gordon Ramsay at a party? Probably nope. not. Because you're automatically mm-hmm. approaching somebody who's at uh, expert level with a basic question, right? You would feel that's almost disrespectful of his time. You should have mm-hmm. at least so that you look, you know, <laughs> like you care, like you actually care about cooking, that you should have at least looked at the recipe, tried it a couple of times, whatever, before you ask somebody at master level how to do it. That's how black people feel. <laughs> black people yeah. are masters of living in this world. You are so good with analogies. Yeah, if you come up and ask me, what's it like to be a black person? Man. Yeah. <laughs> or why is this upsetting to yeah. you? Really? You know what I mean? Like, come on. Yeah. Does, does that happen to you, Gretchen? Does that happen to it you? It used to happen 
a lot more when I was younger. And part of that is because as a biracial woman who grew up in Los Angeles, I grew up in a very diverse, in a very liberal environment. Um, I never really put too much thought into my racial identity. I identified as mixed. I identified as biracial. But that was it. Like, it, it didn't really have too much meaning beyond that. I had had some experiences with racism and whatever, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that occupied a lot of my life. And then when I went to the East Coast for college, and I spent a lot more time, you know, with people um, who had come from different parts of the United States and had different black experiences than my experience. And I started hearing what their life has been like and why they're upset and what things happened to them. I got my own education. And that's why I'm very clear to say not everybody has the same black experience in America, you know? And after that happened and I really started, I had to do my own homework. It wasn't a matter of, okay, well, I'm black too. So I get it. No, I actually sat down with him and said, what was it like growing up? How did you feel having to experience that all the time? You know, and I got a lot, I got a lot of the eye rolls too, like, you know, but I persevered and I did my own homework. I started studying African history. I was at a college that offered phenomenal courses in it. So I took some, you know, like I need to understand my own blackness. And figure out my own yeah. identity, and then I can compare my identity and my experience to other Black people's experiences, and I know when to speak, and I know when to shut the F up. <laughs> like, yeah. I know yeah. how to say, yes, I've experienced racism, and this is what it feels like, and this is how it feels all the time. And then I know how to say, I'm never going to be pulled over for driving while Black. Not me personally. So yeah. I can't tell you what that feels like. But I have been in cars with black men, my father included, who have been pulled over for driving while black. And I have seen what happens firsthand and I have talked to them and I have felt their energy in that moment. And I have seen the range of emotions they've gone through in that moment. And there's no way you can't be impacted by that. So I may have a greater understanding of it, but again, it'll never happen to me. So I don't personally live in fear of it. And because I know my place in the story, I don't ask questions of people who have different experiences without doing my homework first. And I'm a black person. Mm. So I expect at least that from white people who want to know. If you want to know, come with some information. I have a lot of people who will DM me after I post on Facebook or whatever and ask questions, but they're coming and they come from having done their own research or oh, I saw this over here. I saw this over here. And you know, which one is it? I can't figure it out. Can you, you know, that I'm 100% going to talk through and answer and go back and forth, you know, but somebody just told me, Hey, you know, sucks to be you. What's it like? No, <laughs> no, oh, my Lord. But, you know, I'm I'm paraphrasing that, but let me tell you what it really looks like on a Facebook post. I am so devastated every day that I see these things on my Facebook feed, and it's horrible what people have to go through in America, and I just wish it would change. But that's what I'm saying. That's what we read, and then people get mad if we don't go, oh, 
Oh, right. There, if no. we could cut this whole episode, if we could cut this whole episode down to this last minute, I think that is paramount of what this conversation is. It's like, it doesn't matter what white people feel. You know yeah. what I mean? This is your fight. It doesn't matter if we agree with rioting. It, it's mm-hmm. right. It doesn't matter if we feel sad or upset. It, none of it matters. All that matters is what your perspective is and what you're fighting for and how can we show up by on our own accord and the not need to be thing a white fed. person can do and does is tell us how to behave as black people you can't protest yeah. that way you can't say it that way i've had people say you know more people would would follow your posts and more people would agree with you if you didn't come right. across as angry as you do <laughs> i don't right, care right 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 <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. More people would be accepting of you if you didn't say all white people do this. Okay, but you right. have no yeah. problem hearing yeah. all black people do this. So if you right. guys can lump all black people together, why can't I lump all white people together? The difference and is that's what you said at the beginning. Up with it. Yeah, black people have grown up being right. together in a box. White people, this is usually that. Well, that's. This is why <laughs> you're people not, you're listening with to it. understand. Yeah. Yeah, it's us listening to understand and and not talking and then getting past the feeling of being defensive and be like, well, it's not all white people. I'm I'm not racist. I'm not one of them. And being like, okay, well, we live and we profit off of this systemic racism in the the white supremacist society. Because I I heard the word, you know, I heard the term white supremacist and I'm like, that's not me. But I, you know, in Googling the definition of supremacy and supreme, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's basically just the hierarchy and yeah. we, we will, you know, white people have the upper hand and I, oh, head, head, well, Yeah, it's like, on. I'll break it down. A white person cannot be an ally unless you're willing to be accountable. Mm, right. Period. That's the, I have a be accountable written on a piece of paper with a box around it and like how we stop stopping. You know, I look back two years ago and it's like, why did you stop? Why, why did you, you know, uh, why did you stop? And I think that is where we can kind of wrap this up perhaps is looking at how we be accountable and how we keep going Mm -hmm. and, you know, what we can commit to doing because it's real convenient for me as a white woman to, you know, get busy and focus on, you know, my life and like, Oh, I have this going on and that going on and this going on. It's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, like, what are we doing? Cause we're, we're not for what, if we're not there showing up for our sisters all together, then why are we even fighting? Because clearly what we've been doing over the past forever has not worked. No one's living in peace and harmony and have true freedom you know, and it's just, I, I, yeah, it, it seems like. Well, yeah, and our kids and our friends and our family, like, who, who are we keeping the people around us also accountable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, like, not just myself, but I mean, I have influence in my circle. Mm-hmm. I have influence in my family. And so when you say accountability, like, I wrote that down and put it in a box too, Courtney, because mm-hmm. that doesn't. It just kind of like hit me that that's not just about me. That's right. about those that mm-hmm. I also influence. And that is, that's, you know, that is where we start to really have something to be accountable for is when we allow certain behaviors. Well, it's like you personally may be 
you know, enlightened and educated and, you know, up on Mm -hmm. these issues and working in whatever ways you have access to, whether it's just through your voting practices or if you're socially active in the Mm -hmm. community, you personally may be doing all those things. But I give this example. If you go to a party and the person at a party who is a friend of a friend or neighbor and says something that is, I'm going to call it ignorant, We'll just label it as ignorant, yeah. you know, on these issues. And you just stand there. Right. You know, yep. I will yeah. never be able to reach that person. I will never be able to educate that person right, or right, influence right. that person. Right. Right. You know, these, these conversations <sighs> black people aren't in the room for, you know, yep. when somebody cracks yep. a black joke, a black person typically is not in the room. I sometimes am because they think I'm white, yep. but it's like typically they're not in the room. And <laughs> it's, yeah. your, it's your responsibility in that moment to go, hey, <laughs> no, you know, uh-uh, <laughs> that is not okay. Yep, yep. That one drunk uncle at Thanksgiving, you know, that you yeah. don't see or you think like, oh, it's just, even if it, yeah. Ugh. If you yeah, want to be yeah. my ally, you have to be as uncomfortable in America as I am. And that's right. just the truth. Ooh. You don't fight wars with one yeah. with a group of people in the trench and you way the heck back, you know, five miles on and say, I'm with you, buddy. No. <laughs> if you're going to yeah. fight, you're yeah. right here with me. You are going to get dirty. People are going to call you names. People are going to unfollow you. People are not going to like the things that you're saying. You are going to have yep. to stand up and be accept the fact that in that accountability to, you know, be there for us and hopefully, you know, be there for other people that you are going to lose some of the benefits of your privilege. If you want to be my ally, you have to get as uncomfortable in America as I am. That's what I've got written down as this <laughs> massive summary (laughs) i'm like i we all of us are so grateful for your time and i I, it's funny because as you sit here and you're like and you're i consider you a a dear friend a mama bear you know like i said i i i would do whatever you know in in a situation that it came down to and this was before this stuff pops up you know now i'm Mm -hmm. like Oh, I, I even feel myself kind of tiptoeing and I'm like, uh, yeah, but you know what? I'm ready. Like I'm, oh, I've, I got an action plan. I know there was uh, a, a podcast we were briefly talking about, um, you know, and, and all of this stuff that you have laid out for us. I mean, I've got a full page of notes and I'm, I'm committed. This isn't something that we, we put back down. You know, this is ongoing and and perhaps we can have a follow up call on what this even looks like beyond this upcoming election. You know, what we can be doing more at a grassroots level. You know, Mm. that's that's something that we can actually tackle as opposed to hypothetically talk about, you know. Well, and one of the things that I've also said um, when people have asked me, well, what can I do? You know, what? How, how can I show up? You know, how can I actually put action um, to intention? And mm-hmm. one thing that I say that's super easy that anybody can do is you can go to 
www.naacp.org. You can go on their website. They have all of their local units broken down by state. So go on the website, find your state, click on the link to the local unit, and a page will come up where every single NAACP office in the state, broken down by city and county, appears. And then there's a phone number and a personal contact name. So it isn't just you calling an office going, can I speak to somebody? There's a name. And you can ask to speak to that person and you can say, I am concerned about these issues. I want to help. I want to get involved. Can you please direct me or let me know if there are opportunities and ways that I can be more proactive? And I promise you, they will find that, things for you to do. <laughs> they will definitely find things for you to do. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, yeah, I brilliant. like that. We'll put that in the show notes, Courtney. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. I feel like that was an amazing power of hour, hour of power. I, I, I feel, I feel hopeful. I feel accountable too. I feel like that's the other word that I've taken away from this is <laughs> accountability. That's a big one for me. Mm-hmm. As you already know, Courtney, yeah. like that's, that's like, if there's anything that I could wish for anybody to be is accountable, because once you're accountable, you're free. Once yeah. you're like, are we not taping anymore? So I can say shit. But <laughs> once, you own, <laughs> once you own your own shit, you can start to yeah. identify why that happened or why you are that way. Or what are those aspects about you that you can work on and change? And then you can change. Yeah. You know, like being accountable is how you empower yourself. That's a big part of, you know, my coaching, my practice is, man, if you're not willing to own who you are and own your shit and lay it out and be confronted by it, you're you're not ready. You're not ready to evolve. You're not ready. No, to there's no, you, there's nowhere to go. Yeah, you, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're at a, you're at a stop. You're at a stand. I mean, you can play yeah. surface games. You know what I mean? Like, listen, somebody can go down and call the NAACP and go down and volunteer and whatever. But if they're not willing to own their part in how this all came to be and how they benefit from it, that work is literally just the service. That benefit from it part is is huge as well. You know, because yeah. by benefiting from this system and I guess recognizing it is the first step, because if you don't have, and, and I say recognizing having an awareness, you know, if you don't have an awareness about a problem, then there's no problem to solve. And I think that's a, a big thing. Well, is why people if you don't get defensive when aware. Somebody, yeah. If you don't get defensive when yeah. somebody calls you privileged and you actually acknowledge yeah. it, because I promise if you have these conversations, people will say, well, that's because you're privileged or that's your privilege or whatever. If you don't get defensive and actually hear the moments that they're defining as privilege, you can become accountable for that and see how you benefit from it. Like I said, you miss that teachable moment the instant you become defensive because they're telling you, (laughs) they are telling you why you benefit from being white in that sentence. And most people over their heads because all they heard was the word privilege and blocked everything else out. I mean, I did. I came but, back around. Amen. Because have not, then like, what's the point? I would feel like mm-hmm. I would need to come back and repeat this lifetime 12 more times. Yeah. You know, I, uh, yeah. Whew. So there's that. Uh, amazing. I feel we need to have mm, 
lot more conversations around this. And I think this is an amazing call to action, an amazing wrap up. And um, yeah, Tav, tell us what's next. What what are we on next week? What? Well, I think that you know what, Courtney. Let's let's continue to play this by ear. Let's discuss these evolving situations and what we're learning and what we can all continue to learn. And I just I'm so grateful, Gretchen, that you yeah. were willing to come on and talk to us and Thank have this you. conversation. Oh, and Courtney and I are both, you know, we're both very aware of what we need to keep learning and doing and being accountable for. And so we appreciate well, you. And I, and I appreciate us, you guys um, actually being open, you know, to hearing, like it's hard to have these conversations where you feel like, like I almost feel like it sounds like I'm lecturing, like, you know, you bad people. This is no, no, <laughs> you know? no. And, but there's kind of no other way to, you know what I mean? To like have the conversation without, coming from a standpoint of, Hey, there it's bad. You know, it's bad. And, and yeah. something needs to be done. And unfortunately, like I've said, I've said in um, other conversations, you know, if every person of color were to band together and vote and try to change something, it'll never happen. We're only 39% of the population in America. Like we'll never obtain a majority. We'll never be able on our own to do this because of the way our country is set up, you know? So unless we have white people who understand and want to help and want to change things, it'll never change. It's like Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, you know, they didn't change. They didn't make the laws. They didn't change things. That's, that's a misnomer. They didn't change things. They just brought the issue to the forefront. They made white people have to face it. And then yeah. white people changed it because they're the only ones in power to do so. And, you know, 40, 50, 60 years later, it's still that way. <laughs> 78% yeah. Yeah. You know, of the power positions in our government are white. They're held by yeah. white people. So it's the same thing. Like if white people don't want it to change, it's not going to change. Mm, powerful. I mean, I felt that like deeply in my core when you said that, because that you also just shifted how I felt about accountability. It's not just accountability for me to learn and understand. It's accountability for me to be a part of the positive change, like systemic change. This is, this is how we can be a part, how this is how we can be an ally is to be a force for change. And that is our job is great, but it doesn't change the issue. It doesn't change yeah. Wow. This is this is this is this has been a lot. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. And and Courtney, as always, you know, I appreciate that you have this platform with me together, and that yeah, we are absolutely. able to bring voices forward and have these conversations. Yeah. And and also, you know, Courtney, you do a, a really good job. And I I know I tell you this a lot, and I talk about it on our podcast a lot. But there's not a, a lot of people. Um, in my life that I know quite like you who are willing to put themselves mm-hmm. out there in the way that you do to talk about these things. And I'm, I'm just honored to be on that journey with you. Well, thank you. My ego sure likes that and it sure <laughs> loves the shit out of both of you. So well, I, no, that's, um, that's the one thing that I have actually, grateful. You know, that's the one thing that I tell people about Courtney, you know, when people ask, did you know, I said, Courtney, <laughs> Lord bless her, man. That girl holds herself accountable. <laughs> 
And mm-hmm. that, that is one, that is such a rarity. And it is, it is one of those things that like mm-hmm. I speak out in other people. So, you know, that's why okay. I, you know, ride or die. Shout out. That's what's up, girl. And hey, shout out 12 steps. I'm telling you, like 12 step yeah. recovery, you know, because and I know we we could keep going for hours, but let's end it at this. But I will say this as somebody who 10 years ago would steal your wallet and help you look for it high on methamphetamines, mm-hmm. you know, turn my life around. You know, I don't want to see one more person say like, oh, well, what's this person's past? You know, put that yeah. on me. You know, it's a, it's, it, it's a, that's, that's what's up. And we all have the ability to change and, and we do have the capability to work through this. And that's all life is, is a learning process and to come together and love and not live in fear and not get bogged down in beliefs that were put onto us by our parents, by society, by systemic mm-hmm. structures, you know, and to have these conversations. And this is what the world is missing is this woman energy, this female energy of, you know, empathy and caring and nurturing mm-hmm. and desiring change and pushing forward. And we will continue to fumble and fall down, but we get back up. And that's what this brand is about is being resilient and and being able to look past our differences and maybe have a falling out. But you know what? Like you say, sisters fight all the time and they come back together and they, it's a family, you know, and that's, that's what's up. And that's why this is so important is because it's, it's not all of a family of of white women at the front. We need everybody at the front. So thank you both for for this opportunity and, and I'm incredibly grateful. Yeah. And absolutely. Thank you both for even wanting to put a topic like this out there for everybody here. Cause it's not easy and it's not safe. And so I appreciate, yeah. you know, the both of you actually putting yourselves in the front line, so to speak of the fire on this one, you know, cause this yeah. isn't easy. Yeah. 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 Thank you. We appreciate it. And Our friends, we will be back to you soon. Are you ready? This is Courtney Olson thanking you for joining us. If you want to keep up with us and join us some more, find us on our website at girl.com. That is G-R-R-R-L-G-R-R-R-L.com. You can find our newsletter on there to sign up for that and stay in the now. Or find us on our Instagram at girl underscore clothing. That's girl underscore clothing. And remember, you are enough.